Good afternoon, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an F. Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the only protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. On today's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about this upcoming draft because today is the, officially the draft lotto, and I think quite a few folks are definitely interested in the top three picks available in this year's draft. What does it mean for the Jets? Well, probably not a whole lot. To be quite honest, Winnipeg really doesn't have a, a great shot at getting a lotto pick, but generally speaking, I think the Jets are probably pretty happy with the position that they currently sit in. If they lose out of the play-in round, their odds for a decent pick go up significantly. But if they, of course, actually make the postseason, the Jets have the benefit of getting a chance to try and make a deeper run in a more chaotic season where anything might actually happen. How the potential pick probabilities will work for teams that are not currently in a playoff spot, and then a bunch of unassigned picks that will be used for teams that are eliminated in the play-in round of the postseason picture, is that, of course, teams that are on the bottom are going to have the highest odds, and then uh, the, the qualifying teams in the eight other spots that are currently unassigned have an extremely low chance, and there are like a series of three different lotto runs that they do in order to determine the top three spots as well as some other stuff and based on certain conditions which are a little bit complicated for me to actually get 100% straight there is a chance that one of the qualifying teams could actually get a lotto pick one of the top three if certain conditions are met for somebody winning this particular draft lotto. I think it would sort of depend on whether or not one of the qualifying teams wins in one of the initial rounds for one of the top three picks so um, beyond that, I don't fully understand the rules. If you're interested, just give it a readover. I think it might make more sense to you than it certainly does to me. Whatever it is, I mean, just like the playoff bracketing system that the NHL is using, it's complicated. And honestly, I, I just don't know enough about it to really speak um, in great detail beyond some of the basic structure that they've laid out for the first three picks being uh, chosen in successive um, rounds of like lotto drafts. Which I think makes a, a modicum of sense. It also allows them to kind of fill the time space between, I guess, this this uh, start of the season um, and whatever else is ongoing because we have several weeks before uh, the season is even going to return. And to be honest, I'm kind of wondering if we're even going to see hockey this year. There's a lot of other stuff going on all, all across the country. I mean, Arizona right now has a very bad outbreak of COVID-19, which Austin Matthews actually came down with. Very unfortunate, uh, of course, and we're hoping for a quick recovery for him. But uh, he's not the only NHL player who appears to have COVID. It sounds like the Tampa Bay Lightning had a bunch of players test positive, um, or, or players and staff, actually, so bad that they had to shut down their training and practice facilities so they can do some self-quarantine and isolation. Increasingly, we're starting to see players speaking out against this restart because it feels like the NHL really doesn't have much of a plan for how to relaunch except that they're just going to do it and kind of hope for the best. We saw Steven Stamkos express 
uh, as much skepticism as you get from like a one emoji tweet, but it was one where the, the emoji is kind of like thinking about things a little bit and a little bit perplexed by the situation. So clearly he's kind of talking about, um, well, he quote tweeted something re- pertaining to the whole plan to relaunch as well as the positive uh, COVID cases coming from Tampa Bay. And it seems like he's not really fully on board with it. Artemi Panarin posted something yesterday, I think on Instagram, where he had like a whole paragraph of text talking about his, I guess, worries about coming back and and playing hockey. He wants to, but of course, COVID-19 remains one of the focal points of the whole thing. And I know that a couple of folks have expressed frustration with the league and the Players Association for what they feel is not really taking uh, accountability of of just how serious the situation is and a, a good path forward to actually fix this. In the background, the NHL has decided that at least for the time being that Vancouver will not be a site for a return-to-play plan, which, oh, you know, that's fine. I guess uh, I don't really care about where it's played at this point because I feel like it should just be suspended, period. I know that we all want to see hockey again, and I'm certainly in that camp, but I'm kind of concerned that there's no real path where you don't have a lot of incurred risk. And guys, you know, often have homes in other states or, you know, they they travel for vacations, they hang out together. And if you think about some of the Tampa Bay guys training together, you know, what happens if they exposed people around them and those people are staff members who travel for uh, a future joint practice or something? You have so many potential vectors for where COVID could be coming from. And I think at this point, it's just a huge risk to really go through with all of this and, and suggest that there's no particular issue and that things are fine. And I don't really know how the league is really going to structure their safety plan because I really feel like there's no way to close off every one of these routes of access for where this could happen. It's to the point where even Patrick Laine is actually golfing in Finland right now and he's basically said, I don't really know you know, anything of what's going on and I haven't thought about coming back overseas yet. And he's seemingly in his own kind of understated and and slightly sarcastic manner, suggesting that maybe the NHL's plan to return to action isn't particularly foolproof and and not the best idea. So I I think as we go further along and see more potential positive cases, not just in the NHL, but across all of the other sports leagues and in the general populace, I think you'll see more players kind of speak up and say, this isn't really worth the risk. Look, they all want to play, but there are guys with pre-existing conditions Uh, And and of course, there are folks who, even fully healthy, could suffer potentially career-altering injuries if they contracted this virus because of the sorts of upper uh, respiratory system damage it can do. We all want hockey back, but I think we're kind of in a situation where because the U.S. didn't really follow particularly good COVID plans and ended up wanting to reopen sooner than later, you know, guess what? We're going to not have a lot of things like sports and restaurants and, and certainly bars and stuff for the foreseeable future. I think Texas and Florida both just announced that they're altering their reopening plans because they realize, unfortunately a bit too late, that no one was prepared for this and people aren't wearing masks, so we're all kind of in trouble. The NHL kind of needs to step up and take accountability and say, you know what, we're not really at a stage where we feel comfortable with this and we need to protect our players and staff uh, and, and just kind of call it. No matter what, it's just not worth running all of these risks that seemingly increase by the day. On a related note about things that we find important, including accountability, I wanted to let you know that the Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, as the hosts, are making personal donations to local, 
and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash Black Lives Matter. Again, that is LockedOnPodcasts.com slash Black Lives Matter. I'd also like to give a shout out to our wonderful supporters at Built Bar, whom I mentioned as the uh, title sponsors for today's episode. Built Bar have a wonderful protein bar supplement that I've actually had the personal chance to try, and I found that it tastes really good, and it also has kind of a unique texture. It's more like a candy bar, and it's coated in like a dark chocolate outside, and the interior is soft and chewy, so again, it's more like a candy bar than what you're probably thinking. I really like them because they're a fun alternative to what you're used to with most dry, desiccated uh, protein bars that are all very chemically and bad tasting. Built Bars have a whole host of flavors that you can choose from, and I think my personal favorite is the raspberry chocolate and the mint chocolate flavors. They also have around eight nut-free flavors if you have an allergy, so Built Bar has you covered for you know any of your allergen needs. If you don't have any nut allergies, they also have a whole host of other flavors that are nut-inclusive, including like banana nut bread, peanut butter, and that sort of stuff. If you're really curious to try them out and you don't know what to pick, they have a whole host of variety box options or build your own box options so you can try a couple of different flavors and get a sense of which one you might stick with. They're also very good for you with a lot of them between 150 to 170 calories, around 5 to 6 grams of fat, and roughly 30% of your daily protein intake, which for a protein bar is a fantastic balance of nutritional value and protein punch. First-time buyers can use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off their first order at BuiltBar.com. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off their first order at BuiltBar.com. In thinking about this upcoming draft, I did want to talk about one other thing that I thought was kind of surprising, and it's that Quentin Byfield, who for the longest time has been the consensus number two overall pick, is starting to slip in certain circles. There are increasingly rumors of folks who are not really interested in drafting him second overall, which for me is kind of uh, kind of surprising. There have been some folks in social media questioning whether or not it's because he's a player of color, which, you know, is certainly an issue that does pervade a lot of hockey circles and especially within the hockey culture. Um, and, and I can't really think of a particularly great reason why you wouldn't want to draft Byfield second overall. He actually has occasionally an argument that he's closer to the first overall pick than people realize. And I, I think what people don't recognize with Byfield is just how rare of a talent he is. He's a 6'4 center who possesses incredible vision, perfect passing, great uh, edge work. I think he's got great stick handling, and he's got a really well-rounded and complete offensive package. If Byfield pans out, he is literally one of the top centers in the NHL in several seasons, maybe even sooner than that. Quinton is like a, a superhuman in a teenager's body, and I really don't think that he's getting enough hype. You really don't find many center prospects quite like him, and I feel like he could be someone on the level of Evgeny Malkin in his prime, which is just absolutely crazy. In the footage that I've gotten to see of him and, and the way that he approaches the game and is able to slow everything around him to the pace that he desires, I really feel like uh, Byfield is just a very special player. And I don't think that there is another prospect you should take ahead of him unless it's Lafreniere. There's just nobody else who really matches the kind of talent and the essentially the positional skill set that he has, as well as the physical traits that he brings. I've also seen an article from, I think, Elite Prospects it was, that had Tim Stutzla at 8th, I guess, uh, which I thought was kind of odd because I think Stutzla is most certainly a top 5 prospect. Do I think that he w would go ahead of somebody like Quinton Byfield? No, and he shouldn't. 
I like Stutzla a lot, but he is most definitely not better than Byfield, and I, I think that as far as the kind of prospect that Stutzla is, I think that he is is a really skilled winger and wide player who would make um, a, a significant impact on your transition game, but I'm not 100% sure if he is somebody who would be your primary offensive catalyst. That's what, for me, Byfield does, and Quinton has just been an offensive juggernaut ever since he stepped into the league. It is so hard to find somebody with the marriage of physical tool sets and uh, skill sets and technique that that Byfield has in this day and age. You just don't see many centers like him, and really, skaters like him in general. There's also been talk of Lucas Raymond potentially getting knocked down uh, a bit further down in the rankings, which I thought was kind of weird, and they said that the primary issue with him is people have questions about his skating and uh, whether or not he can get in front of the net and be a sort of a greasy scorer. I feel like, yeah, skating stride does need work, but a lot of the kids in this class, I felt, have okay skating to good skating, but nothing outstanding, and that's something that you can actually work and improve upon. There are, of course, some strides that are very hard to improve, but I I think Raymond is certainly in the category where if he goes to a specific trainer, he could definitely get a lot of the development and coaching that he needs. As far as being a net front presence, I really feel like that should not be one of the particularly large determining factors on whether or not you draft somebody. You want to look at their production, you want to look at whether or not they can score goals and create offensive opportunities, and if they're doing all of these things, then why are you really hesitating over one particular skill set that maybe they haven't had a chance to show off yet? They don't even know if Raymond has needed to do that because it's not something that he's really had to work on. You know, I feel like sometimes when we think about techniques that scouts and coaches focus on, they tend to focus on things very singularly without looking at the more holistic picture. And this is kind of one of the things that I have uh, reservations about a guy like Kyle Connor. And I've talked about him a lot on this podcast because I think that he's a particularly unique case in the sense that he has one of the worst defensive impacts in the NHL, despite being one of the best goal scorers in the same league. But you can kind of see Maurice often turns to him for the penalty kill. And, you know, they asked him, why Why do you do that? Because you look at his defensive impacts and Kyle Connor is kind of a sieve, which is fine for goal scorers. Although I think this level of defensive deficiency is actually bad enough to make you think twice about it. And Maurice more or less said, if I think he's the right guy, then he's the right guy that I'll tab for this role. And I, I kind of laughed a little bit because I was like, it's because he's fast, isn't it? You think that he can kind of essentially counter and break away for shorthanded opportunities and stuff, which, look, I actually do understand, and I think that there is merit to that particular perspective, but you actually have to have somebody who is uh, defensive-minded and can position himself against opposing skaters and force those turnovers to even get to those breakaways, or at the bare minimum, a zone exit of some sort, whether it's controlled or uncontrolled, and I think that that is something that is missing in a lot of tool sets for scouts is is being able to evaluate some of the whole picture. Um, And it's not like pro scouts necessarily have all of these issues, but some of the amateur scouts uh, and certainly some of the media seem to have these biases uh, where they kind of get a little bit single track minded. And I think that you run the risk of, of ignoring somebody with a lot of potential because you see one or two things that are missing. I think it's important to keep into perspective that developmental tracks are not linear and that there is always room for improvement across the board and you don't want to limit yourself and end up underdrafting or overdrafting somebody because you liked or disliked one particular thing in their in a tool set that you maybe gave too much precedence to. 
anybody passing on Byfield at second overall is going to be making a mistake, and I feel like there is a very good argument that if he does fall past that pick, somebody's getting a steal. The same can be said for Raymond if he continues to fall down the rankings. Somebody will absolutely love what he brings and the kind of game that he plays, and I really feel like he's another special talent that, you know, not exactly on the level of Byfield, but certainly very talented in his own right, you can't overlook his offensive skill sets, even if he's not somebody who maybe has the highest uh, top gear speed or, or fastest acceleration, uh, or maybe isn't really a greasy scorer. That should not prevent you from taking him within the top 20 or so. He really has a case to be top 15, and I, f- I think that that's where he needs to be. But of course, you know, scouts are going to have all of their own personal thoughts and feelings about this. And if he slips to like late first, somebody's going to be in love with that pick. Evaluating prospect tool sets is always very complicated, and the same could be said for evaluating issues if you need to have car maintenance done. Most of us struggle to figure out exactly which year, make, and model we have sitting in our garage, and heaven help us if we have to go to a repair shop where we don't even have the parts on hand to have the replacements done. Instead, most of us try and look up whatever we can on the internet and hope for the best when we go to the auto parts store, and if they have it on hand, great. If they don't, then we basically wasted a trip out where we're waiting for them to place the order for the part that we could have done ourselves if we had the right tools available to us. That's where rockauto.com comes in. The folks at rockauto.com have been in the automotive industry business for over 20 years and bring a wealth of experience and expertise in helping you find the exact car part that you need. Whether you're looking for an engine control module, or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com has exactly what you need, and the easy-to-use user interface allows you to find the exact part for your year, make, and model. Whether you're an automotive enthusiast and gearhead, or an amateur DIYer, the prices are always the same and can save you 30-50% to off of retail brick-and-mortar stores. When you place an order, be sure to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I guess to uh, close out the day, I thought I would think a little bit more about the upcoming NHL draft and ultimately what it might mean for the Jets and where the Jets are, I guess, in their current trajectory of roster quality and stuff. I I tend to think that the Jets are kind of in an odd spot right now because they're sort of in a transition period between, uh, you know, obviously having a competitive team in some areas and really lacking depth in others. And I, of course, mean that Right now, the defense is kind of a disaster, but that's okay because, generally speaking, I think the prospect pipeline for the blue line is actually pretty good. And with Samberg coming in next season, and hopefully more Sami Niku in the near future, as well as uh, hopefully Heinola coming overseas, we already have some very near future reinforcements. And I also think that there are a couple of other guys from the Moose who will probably make an impact sooner rather than later. Leon Gavanki and uh, Jonathan Kovacevic being among two of the earlier names that I might circle back to. Oddly enough, though, I really think that the Jets need some kind of top six forward from their uh, upcoming prospect pool or from the uh, upcoming draft. And I kind of would like to know what exactly the Jets are going to take in this year's draft pool because they have so many good winger options. But as far as like a top six center prospect, I, I know less about who would be a guaranteed center outside of some of the top five to top ten names. I think that if you want a a draft where you kind of want to swing for the fences, this is probably the year to do it because a lot of the guys have pretty good floors. So hopefully find somebody with technique and skill and production levels that suggests that they might be a much better NHL or long term. In my earlier episodes, I kind of delved into some of the names that the Jets might circle back to where they pick around 15th to 20th or wherever they end up finishing. But outside of that, 
I would kind of also like to see the Jets hopefully bring in a center or a winger from somewhere. They should get a top six winger in somebody like Christian Veselainen, if not top nine, you know, probably top nine at first. Hopefully he earns more ice time and kind of moves up the lineup. And then as far as the center is concerned, I definitely want to see David Gustafson with more skilled line mates in the future because I know that Gustafson had a first uh, introduction to the NHL that didn't quite go as well as we'd hoped. But I do think that down the road, he'll be fine and he'll be a top six forward at some point. The Jets are going to be good, I think, in the near future, but it's probably going to take one to two seasons before we actually see this team transition to something a little more competitive than it is right now. And I don't know if that means Paul Maurice is still going to be around for that moment. I would like a coach with more ambition, and I think that that is something that, as of yet, we still don't have 100%. But I'm hopeful for the future and the fact that the Jets have a roster filled with a lot of talented goal scorers that just need play-driving support. That's one of the biggest things we're missing right now, and if we can get a couple of pieces like that from this year's draft, I'd be more than satisfied and pretty pleased. I trust Winnipeg scouts to do this uh, do this draft pretty well, and I hope that they find some underrated talents from around the world so we can kind of you know flesh out the rest of our prospect pool because we've drawn and taxed it pretty heavily, and we do need some reinforcements. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to uh, drop a like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast, hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!